Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. All right, friends, good morning. I love hearing that. We're just getting to know each other. That's, that's what church should be, right? Well, I do have a couple of things I want to draw your attention to. If you received one of these announcement sheets, you might want to pull it out. There's a couple of things that I do want to share with you that's going on in and around our church family. As some of you know, especially those that, that have families, that have children, Promotion Sunday is coming up on August 28th. That means that, that everyone will get promoted into the grade that they're starting out for this next school year. That's a fun thing that's happening. Um, we're launching midweek at first with a party on August 31st. So we have free barbecue available. Our deacons are preparing that. If you don't know what midweek at first is all about, it's, it's our Wednesday evening programming where we have classes designed to help each of us grow in our faith from children all the way through adults. We even have worship practice, and that starts a couple weeks early. So if you want to serve in the choir or orchestra, or you do, you all have to meet this week Wednesday, and you keep meeting. So thank you all for doing what you do, by the way. And also, next week Sunday, immediately following this service, we're going to celebrate the McClure family. Matt McClure has faithfully served as student minister of this church for 16 years, and God has called him to go leave our church family to be a part of another church family to serve as a youth minister there in Waco, Texas. So we want to celebrate him and celebrate what God is doing in his life and his family's life. So next week, Sunday, immediately following this service, I would encourage you, if, if, if the McClure family has blessed you all in any way, be sure to stop by and say thank you to them. Well, many of you know that I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, after, matter of fact, after I went to seminary in Waco, Texas at Baylor, I moved back to Phoenix and served in ministry there for many years. But what you may not know about Phoenix is that Phoenix is and has been for many years the red light running capital of the country. Kind of an odd thing to be known on the map for, right? Not only that, it also it has been for many years the road rage capital of the U.S., that can make for some pretty interesting encounters on the road if you happen to be driving around Phoenix. Well, I had one of those encounters uh, a few years ago as I was commuting to work one morning. I noticed something behind me. There was a car that was blinking their, their brights on and off, on and off. And then I noticed cars were starting to part like the Red Sea to make way for this car. That frustrated me a little bit. Actually, more than a little bit, I actually got angry. Probably something of my youth and my naivety at the time. I thought of that, that childhood phrase that came to mind. Everyone takes their turn. Everyone stays in line. So I decided to have an okay corral showdown with this guy when he got on my bumper. I wasn't budging. Then he drove around me using the left turn lane. He cut me off. That only made me matter until I looked up. I'd been spending so much of my time looking in the rearview mirror, I'd forgotten actually where I was in town. 
It turned out shortly after that car passed me, they turned into the emergency room entrance of a hospital. Dude, <laughs> messed with me. There's one more story I want to share with you in my introduction. How many of you remember as a child having those jack-in-the-box toys? You know, those, those boxes that looked perfectly clean, that, that were perfectly smooth. Mine was, was this glossy metallic exterior. I, I remember it had red and yellow triangles that were decorating it. It had this gorgeous chrome handle that you would turn, and as you turned, it would make really pretty chimes. But I remember loathing that toy. Because the more that I turned the handle, the more I knew something was coming that I didn't like and I didn't want. Until eventually it, it popped out. The ugliest clown face I ever saw. Why? Why would they put an ugly clown face in there? You're probably sitting there wondering, what do these two stories have in common? They're so different. They both have one thing in common. That's whatever's on the inside eventually is going to come out. It's like gravity. What goes up must come down. What goes in must come out. Whatever's on the inside of our own souls eventually will make its way out into conversations and relationships that we have with other people. Just like the crank on that, that jack-in-the-box, sometimes the pressures of life become so severe that they force whatever is on the inside of us out whether we want it to or not. That particular morning when I was driving, a lot of what was on the inside came out that day. For that car that needed to get to the emergency room, there was an emergency in that car that impacted a lot of other people. People were, were annoyed. They got out of the way. For me, my anger came out in, in an unhealthy way. And it at least kept that car from getting to where it needed to go for a few more minutes. So I want to capitalize this morning on that idea. The, the, the intersection and interchange between who we are when, when we're all alone in our private lives and who we are, or rather even who we strive to be when we're around other people. We'll look at two of the most prominent characters in the Old Testament, David and Saul. We're in the middle of a teaching series called Good and Angry, and through the teaching series, we have explored several individuals throughout the Bible to see how they handled and dealt with anger in good ways or maybe not so good ways. We looked at Jesus, we looked at Cain, we looked at Moses, and the last week we looked at Joshua. So this morning, we'll spend most of our time in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we'll look at Saul to see how his inner life, his private life, which includes his emotions, his worldview, his identity, really, comes out like that ugly clown face. What I love about 1 Samuel is that it, it compares and contrasts David and Saul for us. The writer literally invites us to look at them side by side and uses them as foils of each other to help us understand who we should be and who we should avoid being. But before we go to the text, it may help us to understand just a little bit of background information. David, at this point, at 1 Samuel 18, is a young boy. He's 15, 16 years old. He is the youngest son of Jesse, who happens to be a sheep herder in the nation of Israel. At 16 years old, David was actually too young to be drafted into Saul's army. 
And so instead, he was sent to tend his father's sheep. Now, up to this point, when, when we read our passage in 1 Samuel 18, Samuel has already anointed David to be king of Israel. David has been recruited by Saul to be a musician, a worship leader, really, in his court. And David has even brought supplies from his dad's house to the front lines so that his brothers can have some extra food or some extra stuff while they are waiting for the, the battle to ensue. And while he's there, he hears the giant Goliath taunting the army of Israel and taunting God. And that doesn't sit well with David. And so David, the 16-year-old boy, David, faces Goliath, not in armor, not with weapons of mass destruction, but instead as the boy with a sling and a stone. And what I find fascinating about David is that every time that he faces Goliath or faces any event, he has an incredible consistency that's fueled by his inner self because he has spent time going to God and building such an intimate connection with God that it serves as a superhuman and supernatural fuel that gives him the ability to face any circumstance with courage. Now compare that to Saul, who is 55 years old at this point in our passage. He's been reigning in Israel for 25 years. He's had a lot of success as king as well. Up to this point in his career, he's seen a lot of victories on the battlefront. He's managed to do what no judge did in actually raising up a standing army for the nation of Israel. But it's at this point in his career that, that, that things begin to shift and, and things at the end specifically begin to fray because he spent so much of his career managing his public image and looking at what's happening on the outside. He's neglected what's gone on inside of his own soul. And so anytime you, you build that disconnect where you're more concerned about what's happening on the outside than what's happening on the inside, there's this tension within. And for Saul in particular, it created within him anger, struggle, even depression. And so with that in the background, let's go ahead and read our passage. 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I, I want to pause there for a minute. I find that, that image fascinating, that the women were coming from all over the nation of Israel and they came out to meet their husbands, their brothers, their sons who had gone off to war and now were returning from the front lines. They were more than excited. They were jubilant. They were rejoicing in every way possible. And as they did so, they came out to meet King Saul and the army. Notice that the text actually doesn't mention that David is there. He might have been in the crowd. We don't know. If he was, he probably would have been in the back of the crowd. He may have even been on the front lines still. What we do know, though, is that these women were celebrating Saul and the army and the victories that they had experienced on the front lines. But all Saul could hear wasn't their celebration. It was that they were giving David more credit than they were giving him. That's as if the writer is giving us a little bit of a window into Saul's soul. So let's keep reading and, and see what else they say. In verse 8, 
Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. I find it fascinating that the writer of 1 Samuel allows us to almost be a fly on the wall for Saul's emotions and inner thoughts. Because while there's all kinds of celebration happening on the outside and people are rejoicing, it's an incredible contrast with what's actually happening on the inside of Saul. Our, our English translation says he's very angry. The Hebrew word for very angry is the word charar. It, it, it literally means this, this warmth or, or warm feeling that starts out inside of you but ends up taking over your body and overwhelming you so much that you are piping hot mad. You can't help but be controlled by your emotion of anger in everything that you do. The, the image there, it's literally like a charred ember. If you've ever been camping and, you know, when the fire's just about done and it just about goes out, there's those little coals, the pieces of the wood that are still warm and glowing. Given the right circumstances where you take those coals out of that fire and you place them somewhere else, it could spark a, a wildfire that would be uncontrollable. That's the image. And so maybe a good question to ask is, what were those right conditions for Saul? What could also be those right conditions for you or for me? Well, for Saul, the text tells us that, that he heard that David killed more men than he did. He was jealous of David. But as we all know, jealousy typically isn't a primary emotion. There's always something behind it. He was really insecure about his own identity. Saul had been spending so much time as a king looking to other people to find his significance and worth and value. He spent so much of his time looking to find validation for who he was based on them. He was missing out on what God was saying. He spent so much time clinging to his position of influence and authority that he didn't take time to think about what God thought about him as a person. And so, of course, his thought was, what more could they give him but the entire kingdom? See, Saul was living from the outside in. He was so busy looking at, at David and his kingdom and everyone else that he missed out on what God wanted to say to him and how God could help him and carry him in a greater way. We were never designed to live that way, to look at other people for significance and worth. Instead, we were designed to look at God that way. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, that God can be our wellspring of life. He wants to be that for us where, where literally as we spend time with Him, we can find incredible peace and incredible hope that, that spills out and impacts other people. About a year ago, there was a woman named Tara Jane who rose to social media fame. The Australian, the Australian Medical Board banned her from receiving any future plastic surgeries. Now, she's a trained medical nurse. She's 33 years old. Her rise to social media fame, and the reason why the Australian Medical Board stepped in was because she has spent more than $200,000 to transform herself into what she describes as the human Barbie doll. That's, that's what she says. She wanted to look that way, so she has undergone seven nose procedures, five chest enhancements, countless Botox injections 
in the cheekbone, in, in her face, in her lips, on her forehead, all to transform her body because she wants to feel better about herself. Now, she's garnered a lot of attention for it. I don't recommend you look her up in social media because she looks really plastic and really fake. But I wonder why a trained registered nurse who knows what happens when someone undergoes that many procedures, why she would do that anyway. I believe it's for the same reason that Saul in our passage is angry and is jealous of David. When you live your life from or in reverse, where you're looking for attention or approval or significance in other people or in other places, you miss out on what God has for you. Now compare her to Dr. Rebecca Naylor. Ten years before Tara Jane rose to social media fame, she quietly returned home from serving more than 35 years with the International Mission Board. She was a, a medical surgeon and a doctor in Karnataka, India. At 16 years old, Dr. Naylor felt a tug on her heart to serve as a missionary and as a doctor. So she trained, went to medical school at Vanderbilt University, graduated, completed a residency, and then in the 1960s, when, when few women were even given the opportunity to serve as a surgeon, she passed up well-paying jobs and prestigious offers for, for nice fellowships to instead go to a part of the world that very few people knew anything about. Why would she do that? She was living her life from the inside out. In her words, she wanted to go to a part of the world that no one knew anything about, to people who know little about Jesus, so that she could tangibly demonstrate God's love to them through helping them heal medically by serving them in that way and then using that as a springboard to share the gospel with them. I wonder which of those two women made a greater impact. Let's go back to our passage and read some more. Verse 10 writes, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. What an interesting picture there. Here you have Saul on the one hand, who already has all the power, who is the king of the nation of Israel, and he's got a spear in his hand, and he hurls it at David, who is the 16-year-old boy who has no weapon to defend himself. He only has the modern equivalent of a guitar. He's basically leading worship in, in Saul's court, doing what he usually did, as the text tells us. Now, hold on to that phrase, doing what he usually did. We'll come back to that in a minute. I actually believe that phrase is the key to helping us understand this entire series of good and angry, of how to manage our emotions and how to find hope and strength in God instead of in ourselves whenever we, we encounter moments like that. But there's another thing I want to address first. It says in verse 10, that an evil spirit from God forcefully came to Saul. I don't know about you, 
I've always wrestled with that. How can a good God send an evil spirit to begin with? I wonder, actually, if, if maybe we read it through the lens of Saul instead of the lens of us. That may help a little bit. So if you think about Saul, Saul spent the lion's share of his career doing things on his own. He literally created victory after victory after victory for the armies of Israel by pulling himself up by his own bootstraps, so to speak. He did a lot of good things, but it was all on his own. He didn't go to God. He didn't seek God's wisdom or God's counsel. And so when God's presence came to him, it probably convicted him of that fact and some other things that he had done wrong. It felt, because of that conviction, like an enemy that was coming to attack him. And so in that sense, because he wasn't used to God's presence, God's presence was evil to him. Now, I do want to go on record as saying that I believe that at any moment, Saul could have turned around and built peace with God. He could have found a way to invite God back into himself. The Bible says countless times in the Old Testament that God is gracious and forgiving. He is slow to anger and rich in love. Even in, in the New Testament, John writes in 1 John 1, 9 that if, if we confess our sins, our shortcomings, if we tell God that we're broken, God is faithful and just to not only forgive us, but to give us a new life and restore us. David did just that. Saul didn't. But we don't have to be like Saul. See, David spent so much time looking to God and building his identity, forging his identity in God that it didn't matter what else came. It eventually became habit and became routine for him. We actually have a record of how he spent time going to God time and time again. It's recorded in the middle of our Bibles in the Psalms. Most of those are there because they were David's prayers and David's time that he spent seeking God. I actually want to read one of those to you to see what David did and what David talked about. In Psalm 27, David wrote, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Why is David so confident time and time again? I believe it is because he forged his identity in walking with God. There's something powerful that happens when you look to God for your source of strength and not look to other people to fill that void that only God can fill or look for your job or even look for a position of influence. David didn't need those because he knew he could go to God. He lived his life from the inside out. So many of you remember a few years ago when, when COVID first came on the scene, everything was shut down. 
We had no ability to travel anymore. We had no ability to, to even go out to stores anymore for a short season. Um, all public meetings were ended. Well, I have a friend who makes his living through public speaking in those early days of COVID. Every chance he had at earning a living was cut out from underneath him. And he didn't know what he was going to do. But he felt like the Lord challenged him in that season to not squander that time. Instead of sitting and fretting, he felt like he was actually supposed to build his relationship with God by doing two things. As he read Scripture, he was supposed to look at who is God the Father and how is God a Father through this passage. As best as he could, he felt like he was supposed to cast aside his own understandings of his earthly dad and instead look through a fresh lens to see who is God as a loving heavenly father. And then second, he felt like he was supposed to read the Bible by saying, how am I a child of God? How does this passage define me? And wow, as he spent the next several months reading the Bible, it came alive to him in new and fresh ways. He had been used to gaining applause and approval from other people so many times. But now he found an inner strength that he wouldn't have otherwise found as he learned to walk closely with God. The Bible says here that, that Saul was also trying to keep David close to him. Saul, in part, did that because he certainly was jealous and angry of David. He wanted to make sure that he could keep his eyes on David so he wouldn't do anything in Saul's mind was, was off his rocker. But I believe it was more to it than that. Saul knew that David had a connection with God that he needed. And so like a magnet is drawn to metal, Saul was drawn to David's inner man and inner self. But he didn't know what to do with that. And so it was because of that that he was angry and afraid. So let's read on, looking back at 1 Samuel 18. Starting in verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him a command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Saul was afraid and angry of David. But he was unwilling to take a pulse of his own self. He lacked the ability, or maybe he lacked the courage or the strength to look within himself to realize that he was honestly living his life from the outside in instead of the inside out. But we don't have to be like Saul. We can live like David. And so perhaps this morning, as we've come together to worship God, maybe God is subtly speaking to you or, or to me that we, we've allowed the satellite dishes of our own soul to be pointed in the wrong direction. And God wants to remind us we can easily look back to him. Some good diagnostic questions to ask would be, do you, spend, do you look for ways to find approval or significance or value in relationships with other people? Do you look to them 
to fill you in ways that they were never meant to fill you, that only God can? Do you look for significance or value in your job? Are you looking for a position of influence or authority to satisfy you in a way only God can? Just like we can take our literal pulse by looking at our necks or our wrists or even putting our hand over our heart, I believe there's some things we can do spiritually to take a pulse for where we're at as well. You know, just as we take a pulse on our necks, our, our necks are connected right under the jawbone. What sort of things do you think about on a day-to-day basis? And maybe more than what you think about, what do you say to other people when you're around them? Because our thought life and what we talk about are probably good indicators for whether we're living our lives from the outside in or the inside out. Just like we take a pulse on our wrist just beneath the palm of our hand. What sort of things do you do with your hands? How do your actions communicate to you and ultimately to your deeper values for how you live your life? And we can also take our pulse simply by putting our hand over our heart. What sort of feelings or emotions guide you from day to day? Are you overwhelmed? Are you anxious? Do you feel like you're constantly running from one event to the next to front and there's no time for you to even breathe or think? That may also be a good indicator that maybe God wants to speak to you and he wants you to invite him in. I want to share one more image with you before we we end our time together this morning. In the 1930s, in the late 1930s, in the height of World War II, Allied forces sent airplanes to the front lines as part of their their strategy. Well, a lot of those airplanes didn't come back home. Those that did come back home were riddled with bullet holes all over them. It looked like Swiss cheese. And engineers were distraught for what to do. The supplies to repair the planes were really expensive. It would have cost too much to fill every single bullet hole And then they wouldn't have had enough supplies to build new planes or train new pilots. And they were already running low on all of those things. Abraham Wald, a mathematician, looked at at commonalities in, in each of the airplanes as they returned home and discovered the ones that did come home were not fatally wounded because the internal structures, the internal parts of those planes that were the most crucial weren't damaged beyond the point of of the plane crashing. And so he suggested that if they go back and they bolster those inner frame parts, that it would make all the difference for them. And so they did just that. They supported, they strengthened, they built up the, the internal frames, the parts of the wings that needed the most support, And they radically increased the amount of planes that were returning home from the front lines. They also radically increased the amount of pilots that were returning home from the front lines. It became a game changer for World War II. The truth is, is that for you and for me, a lot of times life feels like it's a battlefield. And we walk through life and and we get hit to the right and to the left But God wants to remind us this morning that he is our strength, that he wants to strengthen the core of our beings, the the most crucial parts of who we are. 
if we let him in. God wants to build us up. All we have to do is look to him, and he will help us live our lives from the inside out instead of the outside in. Would you stand with me? As we stand and as we pray, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have been through a tremendous battle and you feel like you have been wounded and you don't know how you're going to make it. Maybe you feel like you've been running solo for far too long and you need to invite God back into your life. If that's you, I want to encourage you to raise your hand wherever you are. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for God's peace to cover you, for God to strengthen you so that you can keep going and you can have incredible peace with God. So God, I lift up to you each of my friends right now and I ask in Jesus' name that you would cover over them as they walk through the thick and thin of life. God, may you strengthen their inner being. May you remind them that they can find peace in you, that you will be their shelter and their guide and their strength and their hope. I ask in Jesus' name that you would bolster them. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.